Welcome to our Design Methodologies podcast series. My name is Kevin, and I'm the chair of the newly founded Technical Committee on Design Methodologies. As a TC, are we fostering exchange between academia and industry to develop and utilize new design methods? This is for us as uh, yeah, people involved of utmost importance. So the best way is to establish a strong community around it, and this can be reached by a common experience. And before we start technical activities, Within the TC, we started activities as today's podcast to generate visibility and hopefully inspire the one or the other to think about new design methods or even better to contribute actively to our technical committee. You can join it through the PELS website. Uh, this is quite easy and it's uh, free of charge. So please think about it, get connected to the TC and uh, let's see what develops out of it. Today, here with me is uh, Sapem Sahu, one of our experts in the cyber physical security and initiator of the podcast series. Hi, Sapem. And uh, we are both honored that we could win Ellen Mentus for our first podcast. Ellen is the senior past president of the Power Electronics Society and the initiator of two of the initiatives, which became the TC on design methodologies. Hello, Ellen. Hey, hello. It's good to be here. So maybe we start with a with an easy question at the beginning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why the name Design Methodologies for the new TC10? Well, you know that's a good question. We did kick around several names, um, but this is a this is an aggregation of several um, initiatives that came together in one in one grouping. Uh, one of them was design automation of power, of power electronics. Another was the uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning community that was sort of springing up as well. And then also the, uh, the cyber, cyber physical uh, initiative that we had, or sci-fi initiative as we called it. And when you think about why do power electronics professionals care about these areas, they care about them because of the design of power electronics. And so we thought, you know, we're, we're looking at how do we design in better cybersecurity? How do we utilize AI and ML techniques to design uh, power electronics, and of course, design automation, as the name implies, is automating the design processes. So we thought, well, maybe design methods. And then, you know, of course, as a friend of mine once said, a methodology is a method that went to college. And so we decided that we'd go with design methodologies, and uh, since we're supposed to be graduates. And uh, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go with the design methodologies version. And so that's how we kind of came up with the name. That's great. That's great. Thanks, Alan. That was, uh, and in fact, you have answered for the second question we had in mind as well. And that was, why do we, or what was the abstract thought behind extending all the three technical thrust areas, that is AI, ML, cybersecurity, and also uh, design automation into a technical uh, committee for the health community? So why? Well, you know, so as I mentioned, you know, obviously it has to do with, with, um, Industry 4.0 and, and and automation in design uh, and 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 then and then when you think about the, the the commonality between algorithms, it's it's sort of the the we view this as being one of the more mathematically oriented technical committees as it relates to algorithms for design automation, algorithms for design, um, you know, in machine learning and and artificial intelligence and the algorithms for cybersecurity. And there's just a lot of commonality there if you think about it. And so while we think of TC1, you know, as our control methods, that's also somewhat mathematical, right? 
you know, uh, but but that's that's control for power electronics. And this is not as much just about control. It's about all aspects of the design of the power electronics, the hardware, the controls, the, the physical realization. When you think about how we put everything together. So it's, it's algorithms for a lot of different things. In fact, algorithms was kicked around as one of the names for the technical committee in terms of where would we put that in there? In the end, we decided that maybe that was just a little bit too mathematical for us engineers. So we, we, would, we, would, stick with, uh, we would stick with design methods, design methodologies. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So uh, <laughs> not to push the people away from the, from the new TC. So, no, um, no, of course not. <laughs> In which sector do you see um, AI and ML will be the game changer for power electronics? So, for instance, uh, fault diagnosis, control, reliability, design optimization, or any other? Oh, wow. You, you hit on several there, several very good areas. And, uh, you know, <laughs> what you're asking me now to do is predict who's going to make the breakthroughs. <laughs> because, because I think a breakthrough could happen in any of those areas as it relates to the work that we're doing. So, you know, um, if you take, um, oh, I don't know, um, design optimization, for example, uh, this is one of the areas where we're seeing a lot of activity being developed in, in using machine learning techniques and trying to, to push it in that direction at least. Will there be a breakthrough? Will there be something with true efficacy as a, as a design tool, perhaps? Don't know, but uh, that's, that's certainly being, being uh, pursued heavily by a number of investigators. You take it, you look on the other side of it, these machine learning methods are paying big dividends as it relates to cybersecurity, however, already. So um, they're looking at uh, network traffic and other sorts of things. Now that we have power electronics in the grid and we're seeing more connected power electronics, we're going to see the data being mined so we can determine what is normal behavior and what is abnormal behavior. And the machine learning techniques are very good at picking this up for us. We're getting, we're getting rates of 97, 98% accuracy on anomalous detection for things like cyber attacks. So I think there's a real future there. And as you, as you pointed out, there's other areas, of course, that, that, that uh, will, will benefit from this. And so in some sense, you think about TC10, design methodologies, it kind of applies to a lot of the other TCs as an element of what they are doing. So one of the things that I think we, that's exciting about this particular TC is that there's many opportunities to cooperate with other technical committees within PELS. It's, it's not siloed as, oh, it's only transportation or it's only aircraft or it's only this or that. It's, it's, it crosses many application spaces, just like our society does. Our power electronics society is very broad. Okay. Yes, indeed. Uh, I think uh, we also can agree on this uh, fact that uh, TC10 finds a lot of synergies with the other TCs as well. So, and uh, since you have mentioned a lot about uh, cyber attacks and anomalous detection due to AI and ML, then the next question uh, would be, what are the highly probable cyber threats do you anticipate for powertronics or let's say uh, for a large system or powertronic dominated grids? <laughs> well, 
So this is an area that, that I do a lot of research in currently. And uh, there's a lot of people very concerned about grid modernization and how that makes that increases our attack surface, perhaps makes it easier for people to, uh, to exploit and, and do damaging things to our electric power grid, um, you know, in any part of the world uh, that's, that's modernizing in this way. And so I suppose um, when to, to answer your question, I believe we have to be diligent at multiple levels. We are susceptible in communications, of course. When you think about that's the first thing people think about is 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 man in the middle attacks where they're intercepting data and they're 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 fooling operators into believing something that's not really there. Okay. By this quote, a man in the middle intercepting data that's being transmitted back from a substation, from a solar farm, a wind farm, and and the operator is under a false impression that they either need to dial it up or dial it down, right? Or maybe even uh, some automatic um, uh, generation controls that get fooled. Okay, uh, yep. th these are these are things where where bad things can happen, damaging things can happen, machinery can be damaged, and maybe even human life. And so, and certainly the grid can go down. So that's one that I think is in the press a lot, and people understand uh, that at least at a at a at an intellectual level what that what that means, you know, um, in, in layman's terms. The deeper and more insidious problem, I think, is comes more home to roost in power electronics itself, in the device itself. And that is when they get into our firmware and somehow they're able to make um, uh, modifications to the firmware that may go undetected for a long period of time. And yet we're getting subpar performance, we're stressing devices, and we're decreasing the lifetime of the power electronics. So they're doing damage, but they're doing it in sort of a relatively slow fashion by, you know, um, stressing stressing power semiconductors. They're not they're not shorting them out. They're not destroying them. They're not really making it obvious that they've caused issues, but they are causing an issue nonetheless. So this is sort of, you know, you mentioned earlier in in one of your questions about fault diagnosis. This is where things like machine learning and, and, and health prognostics and, and diagnostics are very important for us to understand the signature of our power electronics, their fingerprint, as it were. And as we understand their fingerprint, if that fingerprint changes, our ability to understand why it changed is important because that may be indeed when we detect that somebody has been, you know, inside our firmware uh, or where something is, is actually just performing suboptimally and we need to do a patch. So let's just all be clear on something. Cybersecurity is not always about mitigating the attacker. Sometimes it's about mitigating the, the, the natural course of things through the things we can do with cyber um, methods. And so those cyber methods may be patching, they may be updating and and through this method as long as that method is secure we have a, a more resilient grid overall an intelligent grid once highly instrumented so so i believe that that um you know my concern is is more in the in the industrial control systems that that, that people refer to ics 
as it relates to the devices on the grid, more so than just the communications. I think I'm not saying the communications shouldn't be shouldn't be uh, investigated, but let's face it, it's a little bit above us as power electronics professionals in terms of a, a different a different layer of the problem. Yes, yes. No, that's true. That's true. That's actually well said. And uh, I, I mean, I can maybe add here. I also saw a video where there was a spoofing attack on PV farms, and it was done through a coffee cup. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And uh, what they did is they actually put like a, you know, EMI radiator inside the coffee cup. And I was, I was quite. Uh, I mean, I would believe that there should be enough shielding, at least uh, with the power on the converters, but there was not. And it managed to shut down, you know, a lot of generators in some few seconds, I guess. Mm. So it's also about being, uh, you know, of course, mitigating the attacks is one thing. Uh, being more creative, because uh, I, I always call it a game of chess. If you can outdo five of the moves from the other end, I think you can win the game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's the beauty of this beauty or, or maybe not so beauty of this uh, of this area and that is uh, when we think about uh, electronics professionals and power electronics professionals our main enemy to a quality product is time and temperature you know and maybe moisture you don't want it to get wet but um, <laughs> and, and and so if you can protect against those and and, and, and and you know over time things certainly age but but uh, then when you have a real adversary ooh, that changes the design equation altogether where you're trying to design around how people might be able to penetrate your system. And so that's, that's something that I think opens up some opportunities, but it is a challenge that will always be there. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And um, if we consider the good thing with power electronics is that you have a lot of different applications and um, yeah, but so the design itself it's getting more and more complicated and there is a need definitely. So the uh, design process needs to get faster and you need to get better suited designs for each and every application. So the whole problem is a multi-domain problem, lots of degrees of freedom. Um, if you have a closer look onto that, so it will be a mixed integer problem with non-linearities. And this makes it pretty hard to, to optimize. And uh, what, what are some of the trends you see in multi-objective uh, design optimization for power electronics? Well, uh, so some of the trends I've seen so far uh, involve uh, the, uh, as you called it, you call it a mixed energy problem. I, I tend to call it a, a, a mixed signal problem in the sense that when we think about uh, uh, design optimization and, 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 and optimization uh, you know, when we think about it, a, a multi-dimensional surface type of uh, minimization problem, for example, that we're trying to find that global minima. Um, when we're dealing with power electronics, uh, and perhaps it could be said of other fields as well, but certainly in our field, we're not looking for we're not looking at a continuous space. We're looking at a discretized space, uh, depending on on what we're using. So, so if we're building uh, power electronic uh, uh, gear for the grid or for transportation and we're using off-the-shelf components well you don't get a capacitor in just any size they come in they come in certain values you get power modules of certain current rating and they step up and current and voltage rating 
So there's not a continuum, you know, it's there's sort of step function changes and you optimize within that sort of discretized uh, space where there are some continuous trade-offs. There's some that are, that are, that are stepwise. And so from the design topology selection and the, the, the design of the converter topology itself, then in that realm, I'm seeing multi-objective optimization that's being able to take, take control of that. And it is at, at the current time, um, power converter class specific. So you'll see a tool for LLC converters. You'll see another tool for two-level converters, you know, H-bridge based converters. You'll see another one for multi-level converters or maybe flying capacitor ones. But you don't see a holistic synthesis tool yet. But we're starting to poke at the problem, okay, and maybe it will come together. Then in another realm is the physical design. How do I realize the physical layout inside the cabinet of my power electronics? As you all well know, in this era of higher switching frequencies, where we have silicon carbide gallium nitride as, as one of the coming technologies, and we're starting to switch faster to try to make more power dense power electronics. How we lay out the power electronics within the cabinet is very important. The bus barring, the bus bars, the capacitors, um, inductors, uh, the parasitics associated with all of that is all very important, and as well as the thermal. So it's electrical and thermal layout. So I'm seeing multi-objective optimization and advances in how do you properly place and route and pack all of those components within a, within a cabinet being a coming thing. We've done some work in our labs on the power module layout synthesis, so the, the, the physical geometry of the power module. But the next level up is the cabinet. And, and I've heard from many industry partners uh, that that is, a, that is still a pressing concern for them that they need tools that help them um, develop the layout of the cabinet internally to optimize both the electrical and thermal performance and, th and thus the lifetime. So could you also, you know, list down some of the specific takeaways from DC 10 for the industrial partners? So it could be any relevant challenges that they might be facing and it's still unaddressed. Uh, so do you think there could be any specific takeaways from this DC for them? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand you. Could you repeat the question? Uh, I asked that, uh, what are the specific takeaways oh. uh, from DC 10 for the industry partners? So, you okay. know, any of the challenges that they might be facing right now that you know right. are still unaddressed. Uh, well, so, so one key takeaway I think is that the DC 10 is a, an excellent, um, um, uh, community meeting ground for those in in the in in the companies as well as those in academe that are looking to try to make inroads in these areas because oftentimes these partnerships lead to proposals and projects that are done where we have partnerships between university and industry folks so that's the first takeaway is it's an excellent uh, networking opportunity to find the people that are are, are doing the work in this area and also, quite frankly, providing the student talent <laughs> that the industry people would want to hire. Um, let's face it, it's, uh, you know, um, I think one of the things that's, that's going to be warming up after this whole pandemic is there's going to be a lot of, a lot of work to be done and a lot of jobs available. And, and uh, so this, this, uh, this is good timing for those industry people to be in networking with, with those of us at TC10. 
So that's one takeaway. I think a second takeaway is being involved in such a way as to try to convey needs and requirements is, is a self-serving, it, it sounds like, oh, we don't want to tell people what our problems are if we're a company. That might put us at a sort of competitive disadvantage somehow. And yet I'm, I'm sort of like being a professor. I'm like, if, 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 if one student in the class has a question, probably others have the same question. <laughs> so please ask your question. And, 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 and if one company that's a state-of-the-art company is having issues with something, there's chances are other companies are also having those issues. So in point of fact, I think it's an opportunity and a good time for them to think about how they can properly share needs and requirements, maybe without divulging what problems they're having. But in this way, the TC10 community can look at things like standards and things like research and things like uh, where we need to be focusing our, our efforts to, to tackle those problems and address those needs. Because that's how we step forward. And one of the things that I think has been unfortunate, it's just an unfortunate circumstance of a maturing, a maturing field, is as companies have become more and more expert at what they're doing in the field of power electronics, you find that a lot of techniques and, and methods go behind the curtain within the companies and they get developed further, but they don't get disseminated. And that keeps that sort of, in some ways, sort of chokes back the, uh, the ability for um, many folks to, to co continue to contribute and advance the field. So it is important for them to be part of our community. And, and I think that's a takeaway I would like for them to have is that, that they will receive more out of PELS and TC10 if they put more into it. And that means being a part of our community. So that's probably the best takeaway I could probably give you right there. Absolutely. But I, I, I will, again, have a follow-up question here because, uh, yeah, I have been uh, talking to a lot of people as well, and I was not able to find a common ground. And uh, that could be, how can the industrial partners or companies working in cybersecurity contribute back as well? Because this is also another case of privacy. Uh, they do not want to share all the details. And even if there have been any cyber attacks, not all of them are publicly publicly acknowledged, let's say. So, yeah, how, how do the researchers actually uh, realize this challenge? Because when someone starts working in the field of cybersecurity, they have to know that there have been events uh, which have happened. But if right. they never surface up, how do they actually find out? Okay, good, good point. Well, you know, there is a way to do this. And, and, and I, I, like yourself, I've met with the same frustration, but I've also walked this line between industry and academia and, and, and uh, openness versus, versus, versus privacy. And so let me say it this way. You know, um, we're working with a company now on one of my projects, and they, they can provide advising, and they can guide you without telling you how they solved the problem but they can tell you what is a problem, the limitations of known solutions, which may or may not be their solution, but they can represent what they view as a perspective of limitations of current solutions. And what it comes down to is both parties understanding what is the boundary of knowledge in the field? 
the, the, the generally known boundary. There's the generally known boundary. There may be a, a realistic boundary that companies have, have, have pushed further out, but there's a boundary of the literature. What's in the open literature? Okay, so, so, so take, for example, a solar inverter. Okay, let's just pick something like that. If we say we're, we're investigating cybersecurity for solar inverters, there are solar inverter manufacturers. They, they incorporate some degree of cybersecurity in their inverters. Okay, but in to, when we're starting to form requirements and gather needs as to what needs to be researched, all they can, they, they can say things as simply as, that's not a problem that is as a big of a concern to us as this one over here. So they can give relative statements and relative judgments and guide thinking in that way. So this is the way in which they can help direct academic research to focus on A, things that they care about, and B, things that, that, that are in areas where, you know, they keep you away from areas that they've probably already addressed, you know, that they feel like they have a, a fairly reasonable solution there. And they don't have to divulge anything specific then. And I think in that regard, that does both the industry as well as their company a service. Yes. Yes. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, uh, that is also what I feel. There has to be some degree of anonymity uh, to get through cybersecurity problems that we find. Mm -hmm. is, is, isn't it the case that, uh, I mean, there is not, yeah, the, the level of awareness is may, maybe still too low for this topic, right? I would say that's probably true. I think that uh, the more that we see um, um, ransomware attacks and, and other sorts of things in the, in, the, in the general media, it raises the awareness that potentially we have some vulnerabilities, that we have a problem, as they say in Houston. <laughs> and, um, and so do we have a problem? And, and, uh, and what is the nature of that problem? And who are the skilled individuals um, that can address that problem? Are they, are they computer scientists? Are they computer engineers? Are they, are they electrical engineers? Um, who, who, who gets an education to go address these problems? And how do they address those problems? And I think that that's, that's what our society needs to play a role in. Let us, let us remember that, that, that we have an obligation as the Power Electronics Society for education. And I don't mean university education. I mean education of the general populace as well as the technical populace. And so in that regard, we need the messaging that, that gets out to schools and so forth. Um, and the little competitions that we might hold and the different things that help raise the awareness of, you see how easy it is to, to, to hack into your cell phone. And you see how easy it is to, to do these different things. And, 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 you know, but through that, through those, those, those activities, we're able to educate people and raise awareness, as you pointed out, that there's a general lack of awareness and maybe that needs to be raised. And we do that, you know, not just through our own profession, but our profession looking outward to the general population. Yeah, ho hopefully the TC10 can contribute to the to this and uh, generates the visibility for sci-fi. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm very hopeful that we can in the same way that the Power Electronics Society took on Empower a Billion Lives 
as a competition to try to, to try to electrify parts of the world that, ha that don't have reliable electricity. Um, you know, it, 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 it informs us that, that many people were not even aware before that came up how many people in this world don't have reliable electric power. How many don't? You know, over 1.3 billion. And 3 billion live in energy poverty, which is, you know, less than 20 minutes of reliable electric power a day. 3 billion. So when you look at those kinds of numbers, yeah, there was a general lack of awareness of that that I think our society helped improve through a competition. But that messaging was still there nonetheless. And the same thing, we have to think like that when it comes to raising the awareness of, of uh, things like um, automated design, cybersecurity, these sorts of things. We can raise the awareness for the need for these things. And when we're not putting people out of jobs, no, that's not what we're doing. We're actually creating more. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. As we heard at the beginning, so there were these uh, three initiatives and uh, these initiatives are now the three technical th thrusts inside the TC10. Mm -hmm. um, how do you see that these thrusts can uh, assist each other? Well, I think, as I, as I pointed out, I think it's an interesting mix because there's some common ground among them, but then they're very different in, in the things that, that, that how they manifest themselves. You know, in some cases, design automation might lead to a company like what you've got, Kevin, where, where it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, an idea, a development, and it spins out into a startup company, you know, whereas in cybersecurity, well, maybe that will happen, or maybe it will just become a best practice, and it will become a, a you know, open in the literature. This is what you need to do. This is, this is the reference design, you know, whereas in the machine learning and the AI, well, now that's a, that's a, a whole animal in and of itself in that it can be applied to so many different things. It can be part of the controls. It can be part of the security. It can be part of things that go even beyond power electronics altogether. Okay. Um, as we well know, you know, AI and ML this is used in a lot of things. So I think um, from that perspective, uh, I think they can play well together uh, more at that um, uh, on that common ground but I think they all, they all have their own identities. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, Alan, like you mentioned about the education as well, uh, how we would like to educate people about these issues and other things. And there are many researchers who are also trying to work in these area. These are quite, uh, you know, some of the emerging areas for power run systems, at least for now. So what, according to you, uh, is the degree of interdisciplinarity that goes into account for further research in this area? So how good someone has to be in mm -hmm. AI or ML or how good someone has to be in cyber to do some research or put forth some solutions for PowerTronics? Mm -hmm. Good question. Good question. I'm faced with it every day when I'm recruiting new graduate students. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm going to say right off the top, I don't have the magic answer, but I have, I have some working theories. So let me, I'll share, I'll share that theory. Um, you know, when, when, when I talk to young uh, folks in undergraduate programs like ours about uh, where they may end up taking their electrical engineering profession, you know, we know as in getting a base electrical engineering degree, you learn software techniques, you know, you learn digital analog uh, circuitry, 
uh, electronics, um, you know, microwaves, RF microwave, you learn uh, electromagnetics, I guess, um, um, communications, all of these things. You, you get a good, broad engineering degree. When you think about the things that apply to power electronics, well, think about your electrical engineering degree and how diverse it is. You may touch on several areas of your electrical engineering degree to be able to provide solutions in the power electronic space. Certainly, you're going to talk about programming DSPs. Everything's digital control, right? So you're going to talk about control systems because you're going to be doing controls when you're doing power electronics. I've said before, I've, I've been quoted, uh, you know, that you show me a good power electronics designer and I'll show you a good controls person because if it, it controls makes all the difference. I can give the same hardware to two different people and they get completely different signal integrity out of their power electronics based on their controls. Okay. And the phase shifting is pretty powerful stuff. But um, so, so, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is to make the contributions in cyber. Yeah. I think it's good to understand the basics of power electronics. You don't have to be a crack designer, but you need to understand how power electronics are architected, basically, that they are digitally controlled power switches, <laughs> essentially. You know, you understand essentially what they are comprised of. You understand um, um, that the ways in which such a device could be compromised. And then, and then you bring your background to it. So your background may be more mathematical in terms of artificial intelligence, machine learning, or, or whatever. It, it may be more along those lines from, a, from that standpoint and how you apply that, or it may be like mine, more of the physics level, but there's many different folks that could make a contribution in these areas. I would say that what, what makes up the, 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 the basics of the power electronics um, you know, student that can begin to do research in this area to begin with is sound, sound principles in electronics, both digital and, and analog, right, and power. Those electronics and the digital the digital control techniques, and I think with those those combinations, that's a pretty powerful combination right there. Um, because what comes with that is the ability to analyze those systems with simulation, maybe hardware in the loop. So they come with a bag of tricks too, you know, skills that go along with knowledge. So you put those knowledge and skills together. And then you begin to apply them. And I think a lot of people, if they just were interested, could make contributions in these areas. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe I can, I can also follow up another question, but this is a small one. But uh, this is uh, thinking outside uh, the society and also integrating bells with other societies. If there can be innovations, uh, let's say, from our researchers in AI or ML and cybersecurity and design methodologies, let's say, and those things can actually be extended for other applications such that other societies can also benefit. Mm -hmm. So maybe, uh, you know, uh, someone having a very decent amount of knowledge in, let's say, computer science or AI ML diagnostics or cybersecurity can actually lead the way to, you know, integration into other counterparts, I can say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is, I mean, this is one of the most powerful ways in which we advance our field is, is that we, we as a, even as an IEEE as a whole, when we think of the 400,000 members of IEEE, with all of these societies, if we look at what people are doing in electron devices or, or, or circuits and systems or in, in control theory and other things, how those things can have an impact on what we do in power electronics, 
then certainly the opposite is true. Certainly what we're doing to advance techniques and methods in power electronics could map over to other fields as well. Absolutely. The only problem is how it finds its way. That's right. Yeah, but if we, we look a little bit down the road, um, what are the prospective future opportunities? So expansion strategies, member interest, um, and the activities for the TC10 from here on? Oh, wow. There's, there's a big question. Uh, what's the future? <laughs> um, so, yeah, good question. Good question. So get your crystal ball. In. That's right. That's right. I've got a, I le where did I leave that? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, uh, I think if we look at what has happened in other electronics fields, for example, VLSI, there is, a, there is an opportunity to learn from their maturation curve. So let me, let me explain where I think we are in power electronics and where they are in VLSI. You guys have all heard about silicon is reaching its limits and Moore's law and so forth. You've heard this time and again, you know, until we're all tired of hearing it. And what that really is, is, is a colloquial statement of, of how VLSI has matured over the last 40 years. And, you know, in the last, say, 10 years, we're not seeing more computers with higher gigahertz frequencies, are we? No, we have multi-cores and other things. Okay, so this is what will happen with power electronics. We'll reach a maturity level with a technology, much like we do with silicon power electronics, but now wide band gap came along. Ah, so the replacement for silicon came along in power electronics where in VLSI, it never has yet, okay? And so, but maybe something will, okay? Quantum computing, whatever, maybe that will come along and that will replace the silicon. But my point being that, with power electronics, as we see it maturing, it may go through a similar phase to what VLSI did when it matured. And what was that? Well, they have design automation tools. They have a lot of tools and they rely heavily on those tools. And their yield numbers are tremendously high when they build circuits. Their manufacturing tolerances are very tight. Okay. And this is what can happen with power electronics through integration. As we heterogeneously integrate, as we build higher power density, and we perfect our manufacturing methods, it's, it's, it's a whole ecosystem now. It's not just about design, it's about manufacturing, it's about automation, it's about all of these things. As we perfect more and more, we may go through a similar curve over the next 20 to 30 years in power electronics, as we've seen happen in VLSI, where it is routine to educate students at the undergraduate level as it is today on how to use cadence and mentor graphics and, and synopsis tools to design a working circuit, okay? Because they have IP libraries they can draw from, they have fabrics, they have you know, scalable architectures, they have different things that they're able to do. This is where I see power electronics going eventually is, is, is following a similar, not exactly the same, but a similar trend. And that's where I see TC10 being absolutely middle of the road to that growth and maturation for, for power electronics as an industry is through those methods that we develop that help us tighten in to do more reliable designs, predict lifetime, increase yield, improve manufacturing, all of these things. That's where, that's where TC10 has a key role to play. That's the future I see. This is where definitely have the industry people 
will have an advantage out of TC10. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Sapem, do you have any further questions? No, I guess uh, Alan has answered everything for us and uh, for the listeners, actually. Um, no more questions from my end. So. Okay. So, thank you, Alan. All right. Well, thank you, guys. And uh, you so much, it's my pleasure. And we'll see, we'll see in 10 years how close I was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> maybe, maybe make another podcast. Well, you never know. Follow <laughs> podcast. All right. Okay. Well, Thanks a lot. Well, thank you.